Hello there. You're about to listen to an episode of Food and Health Talk, Legacy Food and Health Talks. You know, in 2023, Food and Health Talks rebranded and relaunched as change makers. But all the episode we've recorded up to this point is still available for you to listen. And you're just about to listen to one of them. Enjoy it. And don't forget, Food and Health Talks is now Changemaker Podcast. Thank you. Welcome to a new episode of the Food and Health Talks podcast, a show focused on educating and empowering people to create a healthier future through nutrition and wellness education. A show where you will find interviews with leading scientists making groundbreaking discoveries, innovators, and global food industry leaders. It is that show you do not want to miss with your host, Dr. Julia Oleanju. everyone, welcome to Food and Health Talks. On this episode, we'll be talking about food allergies in children. And we have a special guest, Minal Lily. She's the founder and CEO of Little Mixin. She's also the author of the book, The Baby and the Bile, How the Tiny World Inside Your Child Holds Secret to Their Health. Minal, it's so great to have you here today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So let's get started. I, I, I like starting out with giving our audience an opportunity to get to know you, uh, know a bit about your background, how your journey started, and how you got to where you are today. So do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, my, my background is in um, mostly in, in the medical industry, on the industry side of it. Um, I've you know, I never went to medical school or anything, so I'm not a doctor. Um, but I actually have spent um, my 20-ish year career now um, working on a whole number of different treatments throughout different parts of the industry. So um, I started my first like big, big entrepreneurial thing was in um, we in back in 2008. We started an orthopedic company, and that company, um, you know, went on to uh, be acquired by Zimmer Orthopedic, uh, Zimmer Orthopedics, excuse me. And we're, you know, the nice thing about working at a really small company, an early stage company is that you get to do a lot of different things and learn a little bit more, not just about every aspect of the business, honestly, which is cool, but also like what you are most interested in. And where I was most interested is really in the uh, clinical side and also where clinical meets medical marketing, as they call it, which is sort of how you explain new science um, to doctors. And so the skill set that I really developed there was one, the amazing opportunity to develop new science, right? Because at, a, at, at these companies, I was actually designing, running, executing clinical, human clinical studies, um, but then actually presenting that information. And then um, I left there to go start, an, or sorry, to be on the early team of, I should say, I was the first employee of a vascular medicine company. And I want to take the founding away from those two guys. Um, and, uh, but then in 2015, uh, when my son developed a whole host of food allergies is when I got really interested in the food allergy space, right? And the reason there was basically because he had no genetic risk factors for developing food allergies. So we were really blindsided by this set of diseases that, you know, came to us 
um, because we did everything we were supposed to do. And we were told that we, he, there was like a 0% chance he was going to develop something like this. Um, and so that got me really interested, you know, just whenever you're blindsided by something, uh, you get really interested in it. And so um, that's kind of how I, my career veered from sort of the more uh, medical device space into, into sort of uh, allergy immunology. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And, and I guess, uh, well, obviously your experience with those two startups really played a key role also in setting your new company up for success as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because like, as you know, well, right, the, the key is mostly realizing that you can do way more than you think you can. And, um, but having had a couple experiences where you sort of take something from zero to something, it makes you far more aware that you can do these things. <laughs> right, right, right. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about Little Mix and um, what is your mission? What is the product? And, and tell us a little bit about it. Sure. I mean, our mission is to end food allergies, right? And the, and the reason for that is basically that it turns out, like when it comes to peanut allergy, for example, 97% of peanut allergies are preventable. And that's, and that's what the clinical data says. Or the right way to say that, to be most accurate, is when parents follow the protocol, when a baby actually is fed, you know, two grams of peanut protein in a specific frequency, their risk ratio drops by 97%. So the popular way to say that is 97% are, pre are preventable, but, you know, to be correct. But that's a huge percentage. Um, it's, not, it's not genetic, right? That's the biggest takeaway there. It's not genetic. It's actually a simple choice we can do. We can train tolerance to foods. And, but it's not easy. It sounds easy on its surface because you're like, okay, yeah, feed a kid peanut butter, right? So sure, definitely. But little, you have to start, when I say you have to follow the protocol, that means you have to start when the baby's like four months old. And babies are really little. They can't actually swallow peanut butter at that age. So most people um, won't start on four months. They'll wait till six months, seven months, something like that to start. And that's too late, right? So um, we, what we did is basically design, um, it was sort of stuff I designed at home first for my younger son when I was trying to figure out how am I going to get these foods into his diet, you know, it was really just, okay, I have to make these basically like easy, easily, easy to dose, if you will, you know, proportionable is the right word. Um, shelf stable basically. So that it's not like if it's been sitting on the counter for 10 minutes, it's a big problem kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and safe for an infant, right. It has to be like, without thinking the baby can swallow it and no one's, no one's going to be like sitting there worrying about the kid choking you know, because you'll choke on nuts. And so, and it has to cover a lot of different foods, right? Because it's not just peanuts, it's eggs, it's all your different tree nuts, um, soy, sesame, things like that. So that's really, that was really the problem we set out, set out to solve. That's in interesting. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, uh, the allergies and treating them as a whole. So there was a time I watched this um, documentary about allergies on TV, I think it was on CNN, I'm not sure, on one of the TV shows. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about um, how you expose, gradually expose children with allergies to those allergens. And I was really curious to know, is this something you do exclusively in an hospital environment? Is this something you do at home? So how do you expose them? So let's assume a child has peanut allergies. And, mm -hmm. um, and they're trying to help manage um, 
the situation helping to expose the children or the child to um, peanuts gradually? Is this done in an hospital environment just in case the child develops a reaction to it? There is help right away or how does this work? Yeah, so that's a great question, but I want to be very clear. The side of allergies that Lil Mixon's works on is around food allergy prevention. And food allergy prevention means that no, you don't have the disease. Right? Oh, okay, okay. So 100% of babies are born without the disease. Okay. And what we're trying to do is prevent them from developing the trees. And what you're speaking about is treatment, which is a fundamentally different thing, right? It's, okay. it's like in the same way that we can, we know how to prevent diabetes, for example, right? Like the, a healthy diet will prevent diabetes onset. But once you have diabetes, treating it is a very different issue. Okay. And so we're talking that what you're talking about right there is food allergy treatment. And food allergy treatment is a combination of um, you do it in a doctor's office every time you're updosing, and and then the rest of the doses are done at home. But the way food allergy treatment works is once someone develops a peanut allergy, it's it's and for example, um, any allergy is a mistake that the immune system is making, right? But one of the things you may have learned during kind of the COVID epidemic is that your immune system has a very very long memory. Right. And it's very hard to change your immune system's memory. Once it's made a decision, it's made that decision. So what you really want to do is prevent the bad decision. Because changing the decision is incredibly difficult. And in fact, no one's really figured out how to do it. So when it comes to treatment, you have to basically change the immune system's mind that something is no longer dangerous. And so you slowly, slowly, like one way that they figured out to do it is slowly, slowly escalate the doses. But even today with that, they don't know that it sustains itself. Like if you stop escalating the doses or you stop taking your maintenance dose, will you truly not have the allergy five years later? Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, that's good to know. Thanks for sharing that. And you know, the um, so with kids, kids that do not have um, allergies yet, but they're at risk or maybe a family member has uh, multiple uh, food allergies. So they're thinking... Probably this younger yeah. one may have the same. So let's prevent that. So starting early from like four months, you right. set off to pre prevent. And that's where your company comes in. Well, again, I want to be very clear. Food allergies are not genetic. So mm -hmm. the fact that somebody else in the family has an allergy is actually irrelevant information. Every child is at risk of food allergy. Every single child because it's mostly caused by environmental issues. So 100% of babies, every single child has to take the, ste the, the steps to prevent food allergies. Um, otherwise, they are at a 10% risk of developing them. Okay, so uh, do you have, so there's studies that have shown that there's a genetic predisposition to having food allergies because a lot of times you hear um, specific people or specific um, demography show a, um, mm -hmm. a particular trait more than others. So there are studies that show that it's not genetic in any way. So everything is some, somewhat genetic, right? Um, every one of us has, our, our genes create sort of the setup for things, right? But the reason I say it's not genetic is what's causing the immune system mistake is not your genes. It's not that your gene, so what your genetics would do is, for example, produce a chemical, right? A protein or something in your body. And if it was a genetic disease, 
your genes would code for a specific protein that for the presence of that protein or absence of that protein would then trigger the onset of a disease, right? But that's not what's happening with immune diseases. Um, in immune diseases, what you're having, what you're, you have a system, it's your, it's your immune system that is designed to constantly learn and adapt to different viruses you see and whatever else, right? So in the same way that COVID isn't genetic, right? It's, it's caused by the presence of the virus that causes the disease. And yet there are sort of genetic predispositions to having worse disease. There can be genetic predispositions to, to different things. And you might see that, you know, the disease more common in certain communities than other, but that doesn't make it genetic. Right. So the, the key, the key thing here is this, that, that yes, to your point, there are genetic predispositions to specific diseases, and sometimes some people have a stronger um, outcome, a, strong, a more compelling um, medical outcome when uh, when they're exposed to allergens than others. So, which which may have a genetic undertone to it. But for me, a lot of times, I, mm -hmm. I, I focus more on what has been shown. You know, there are times yes, and some things are speculations. There are times some yep. things have been shown through scientific research that no, there's sure. no association at all. So that was why I was referring to that. Point yeah, that yeah, yeah. And that, that shown, is true. Yes. That there's no association. In fact, that they used to consider like family history of disease as a risk factor. And the most recent Quad AI guidelines take that out. Okay. They no longer consider family history to be a risk factor for the disease. Okay. The single biggest risk factor for developing food allergies is the onset of eczema early in life. The presence of eczema in early infancy and the severity of the eczema is the single biggest factor for development of food allergies. But in, it's, family history has been removed from the list. Okay, all right. Thanks, thanks for sharing yeah. that. So yeah, so let's uh, move on and talk a bit about your book. Uh, it sounds really exciting. It's coming out in September, September 6th, is that correct? That's correct, yep. Okay, so looking forward to that. So do you mind telling us about the book? Why did you decide to write the book? So the, the reason I wrote the book actually is because there were so many misconceptions about allergic disease. So many people think of allergic diseases as genetic. And this is a fundamental problem because you cannot convince people to prevent a genetic disease. You don't wake up thinking, I'm gonna prevent my kid. I'm not, I didn't wake up ever thinking I'm gonna prevent my kid from having dark hair, right? Like that was a fait accompli, he's gonna have dark hair, right? But if you, if you know of a disease like lung cancer is specifically caused by an activity like smoking, then you can talk to people about, hey, if you don't smoke, you won't get lung cancer, right? Then it makes sense. And the problem is even when it came to cancers, you couldn't get people to do like helpful activities that would help them avoid their cancers un until they realize them to not be genetic diseases. Right. right. And so a lot of the big reason, but you, you can't just tell people, hey, this disease is not genetic. You have to actually explain how are these diseases caused. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can't just say to someone that it's, oh, don't smoking lung cancer is not genetic. You have to say, like, it's caused by smoking. And this is what we now understand is the exact mechanism that causes, you know, causes it when you smoke. And so that was actually really what this book was about, is it turns out that for the longest time, because um, allergic diseases are relatively new. And for the longest time, we didn't have a good explanation of where they were coming from. But over the last 10 years, a strong consensus has built up of exactly what environmental and um, 
and choices, like what's the word I'm looking for? There's environmental causes, right? Like think about lung cancers, right? We can think about car, car pollution or something else. But then behaviors, behaviors is the word I'm looking for. What environmental issues and behaviors specifically cause these diseases? And why do those behaviors cause those diseases? And so that's really what the book is about. It shows you, in, it shows you um, how specific insults to a baby's barrier function and their microbiomes, that's their gut biome, their skin biome, how these things, how specific behavioral choices and environmental changes will then cause disruption to those two and then create the onset of a number of immune diseases. So not just food allergies, but eczema, asthma, they're now implicated, these same things are implicated in diabetes, like type one diabetes, ADHD, autism, um, uh, uh, Crohn's disease, you know, like a lot, almost all immune diseases are actually kind of caused in many of the same ways. In the same, again, but in the same way that very, cancers are all very related to each other, you know? That's really interesting. So, um, so in this book, you walk parents through what they can do, how they can prepare their babies, or, I mean, how they can prepare their babies at early stages to prevent some un prevent the onset of some of these uh, immune diseases. And also, do you mind walking us through um, biggest takeaways from the book? So if I am a mom and I'm listening mm -hmm. today and I it's okay, should I buy the book? Should I not buy the book? Mm -hmm. What what would be my biggest um, or takeaway from reading this book? I think the biggest takeaway should be, number one, there's probably 10 things you're doing today that were prevailing common advice, you know, that, um, that you'll be shocked to find out are actually terrible decisions to make with your kid. Mm -hmm. And the number, the, the other biggest thing that I've learned is that with a baby, um, because there aren't that many things happening to the baby, right? They're not going to school. They're not water skiing. They're not doing lots of things. What is happening to their skin? Their skin is their primary barrier to the outside world because they're very sheltered otherwise, right? And so what's happening to their skin is the, like, is the root cause of so many other illnesses. And I wanna, and I wanna, I wanna step back to your point right there, which is to say, all of these diseases to some extent are about chance, right? And we talked a little bit about the genetic predispositions here and there and everything, you know, that kind of thing. So at every stage, what you're trying to do is gradually reduce your risk. Because the same way, like you can have two people who smoke three packs a day, not both of them are not necessarily going to get lung cancer. And yet we know that smoking directly causes lung cancer, right? Mm -hmm. So for both people, it's a good idea to not smoke, right? But, you know, so all you can do is individually reduce your child's risk of disease. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, one, of the, one of the key things that you've mentioned uh, is helping parents understand how to reduce You've, you've said it repeatedly, and I think it's important to point out here um, that uh, people learn different ways to help uh, optimize health for their babies. And right. for you, the biggest uh, focus on both for your company and with the book is to help manage um, allergies, food aller development of food allergies. But it didn't just start randomly you had a personal experience with your children mm -hmm. do you mind sharing that at this point what what did you see what did you do what did you learn from your own personal experience um well you know my son started developing a whole host of diseases as i mentioned like early on 
around seven, six months old or so, he started developing some eczema. Then at 10 months, he was diagnosed with food allergies. By age two, he had developed asthma. He had, um, and what, what we did at the time was actually watch our child's uh, life spin out of control. That's what we did. And it was only years later through, through several years of research and talking to immunologists and actually just timing, which is like a lot of research happened to be coming out right then, that we started to really understand what had gone wrong. Where, where, had, we, where had we sort of made um, choices? They weren't mistakes. I don't want to call them mistakes because we did actually what we were supposed to do. But they were choices that it turns out were the wrong choices to make. And with our younger son, we were able to not make those choices. We were able to do things differently. And he lives a life completely free of disease, mm -hmm. right? And so we you can't use that N of one as a clinical study to say that it worked, you know? Um, so I'm not claiming that, but I am saying that I have in my house two people who have two completely different trajectories and limitations, you know, on their lives. And and much of it is probably rooted in choices that I unwittingly made. Right. And, um, you know, in both cases with the company and the book, then my whole goal is to keep every, as many other parents as I can from making those same mistakes unwittingly. Because all of us want our children to have, you know, happy, healthy lives like we had, or hopefully we had, um, or the happiest, healthiest lives they can have. And it's the worst feeling in the world to think like, you that I did that to him you know and even even if I know that it's not my fault exactly or like I'm not to blame it's still a terrible feeling that no parent or should have to go through right so bottom line is you had knowledge gaps when you had your first mm -hmm. child and you felt like if you knew what you know now you would have done things differently and also mm -hmm. think other parents should know and should be mm -hmm. able to take proactive steps to help their children live healthier so, which is really great. And with your company, you've also collaborated with in studies, uh, research studies, to uh, validate a few of uh, some of those uh, initial assumptions you had based on your products. Right. You mind sharing that about sharing about that with us? Well, so a lot of our work with our initial products, little mix-ins, um, we you know we're following the clinical studies that have been published. There have been nine different randomized controls published. And what we did was work with some of those same people that, you know, figured out how to prevent allergies to say, like, what is the exact tool that parents need to do it? We are doing a big clinical study on our own um, products that we can't, that, you know, won't be ready for another couple of years. So there's not really much I can say about them today. On the other side of the line, especially around eczema prevention, we launched a line of um, probiotics because the only proven way to reduce your risk, a child's risk, excuse me, of developing eczema in early infancy is um, if a mother prenatally, specifically in her third trimester, and then through the breastfeeding period, if she takes, she and baby take um, L-rhamnosis, which is a probiotic, it's a bacteria. Um, and so we've created a way for moms and babies, obviously mom and baby are one thing before, <laughs> uh, to, to, to both get that. And we recently have a, a meta-analysis published on that in the um, American Journal of Clinical Dermatology. But that, again, that's really a combination of other people's research. So I don't want to take any credit away from all the people who did all the real hard work. <laughs> right, right, right. That's, that's great. It's, it's good um, that you're collaborating with investigators and trying to learn more. 
and um, trying to validate some of your assumptions as well. That's really crucial. So yeah, it's interesting to see how much um, it's been done by your company and how much um, impact you're having. So do you have data around the effectiveness of this approach to preventing um, allergies in children? Any studies of yeah. yeah, the really nice thing here is that there are at least nine different large randomized controlled trials out there. Um, the biggest, the most well-known is probably the LEAP study, which specifically focused on peanut. And then there's been uh, you know, specific studies on egg. And then from there, there's been specific uh, sort of more studies where they use a protocol of multiple different foods. And in each case, you see over and over and over again that by getting a baby the right amount of the protein, starting at the right age, you can reduce their risk of allergy by some of the studies were, you know, showed as low as 65% redu risk reduction and some as high as 97% risk reduction. So they're very effective and all completely independently funded, um, you know, large randomized controlled trials. It's actually, strangely, it's, it's surprising to people because it's new information, but it's actually probably one of the best studied uh, or behaviors or, you know, um, uh, that out there because you don't generally get a lot of things with that many clinical studies actually showing the same benefit over and over. That's really interesting to know because I'm sure some parents listening are wondering, um, are there studies that back this up? What is the areas that actually work and things like that? So it's good to know that there are clinical studies, are there undermined studies that have shown that you really can prevent the onset of um, right. allergies in children. And, I, and if I, anyone I wants, sure. sorry, if anyone wants more information on that on our website at lowmixins.com, we actually, um, mostly because I'm a data nerd, um, you know, we take the time to actually walk through all the different clinical studies and link to them if anyone's feeling particularly bored on a Sunday. All right, definitely. And we also have the link to that page to the show notes so that uh, people can refer to it and read more and learn more about this as well yes so thank you for uh, sharing that um, you know um before we wrap things up um i want to give you a chance to uh, tell people where to find uh little mixing products what type of products do you have what age group do you target mm -hmm. or what age group is it for and um and also we'll go on to talk about where they can find your book Awesome. Yeah. So Little Mixins can be found um, online, right? So on our website, uh, L-I-L, you can see it. Uh, well, this, I can't get this camera right. L-I-L-M-I-X-I-N-S.com. Um, they're also available on on Amazon and at Target, uh, Target stores and Target.com. And the probiotics, again, are around reducing the risk of eczema. And so those are for the, for our, for the prenatal period, um, third trimester for mom, and then the breastfeeding period, the first six months. Then the um, food allergy prevention, um, the early allergen introduction, excuse me, um, powders, those are really designed for babies four months old to 12 months old. And a lot of people ask me, well, what happens at 12 months old? And I say, well, your baby can eat real food. So you don't need to buy specialized food for uh, a one-year-old, right? And so it's not that it's not that something changes about our products that they're not safe for a one-year-old. It's just that we encourage parents to use our, our help to make sure they're introducing their babies to the right amount of food at the right time. And then once their babies are ready to move on to just a normal, healthy diet that includes eggs and nuts, they should do that. We, won't mm -hmm. want, we don't want parents sticking on products any longer than they need to. Right, right. 
So your uh, the kids, the babies that start with your product graduate at 12 months too. That's great. Up with, that's good. That's really good. So uh, the book is coming out in September. Where can people find it? So pretty much anywhere you can buy books, right? So definitely Amazon. Keep, keep bringing up Amazon, but you know, like Barnes and Noble, um, Books a Million, anywhere else that you like to buy your books. Hopefully your local public library too. Um, but yeah, it's releases on September 6th and it, uh, you know, we hope, I hope you get to read it and it answers all your questions. And one of the nice things is, um, you know, even through, through little mix-ins and through a lot of other stuff, like, because I'm so involved day to day, there's a lot of opportunities that I get to actually engage with parents and answer a lot of the questions they have, uh, even as they read it or, 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 you know, think about things with their own children. All right. Thank you so much, Mino, for joining us today. Um, and to our audience, thank you for listening. So the next time when I bring another exceptional guest your way, stay safe. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'd like to share a very important tool that makes it very easy for me to prepare this podcast every single episode with you. And that tool is a platform called Anchor. Anchor is a platform created by Spotify, which makes it very easy to record, edit, merge, insert music into your audio, and just prepare everything you need for each of your episodes. It also makes it easy for you to work with your team as well. They could prepare the files for you and you upload easily or they upload for you. Whatever you want to do with preparing for and broadcasting your podcast, Anchor makes it easy. So check it out. It's free to create your account. And I also want to add this as a sponsored segment. Thank you again for listening to this episode. I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for another session of Food and Health Talks. We invite you to subscribe to this channel, share this with your friends and colleagues, and don't forget to leave a review for us. Together, we are joining hands to shape a healthier future of food.